Hello, and welcome to CapTech Trends, a place where we meet with thought leaders and subject matter experts to discuss emerging technology, design, and project methodology. I'm your host, Vinny Schoenfelder, Principal and Chief Technology Officer at CapTech Consulting. In our previous podcast, we discussed how agile DevOps and modern architecture have prepared development teams to continue to deliver in this socially distant remote work environment we find ourselves in, um, obviously as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, this generated a lot of conversation, and so we want to go a little deeper this time into what makes a high-performing team, and specifically, what makes a high-performing team effective with remote delivery. Uh, joining me again is Dennis Bound, a principal at CapTech, who leads our services and who has built our Agile practice area, as well as Paul Given, a managing director at CapTech, who currently leads our Agile delivery practice area. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, this is Paul. Hi, this is Dennis Bound. So, as I said in, in our previous podcast uh, titled Successful Project Delivery During COVID-19, the, the premise was that a lot of our clients are asking us uh, what they can do to be effective uh, in their project delivery during this time. And what we have seen is that companies who have invested in modern architecture, DevOps, and methodologies like Agile over the past 10 years and done the hard work to really make that uh, effective in their organizations are weathering the storm pretty well. Uh, and those who aren't are struggling a bit. And we provided some thoughts and opinions on on what are some immediate steps they could take uh, to shore that up. And it's interesting because it's a little counterintuitive. Agile is a methodology that promotes co-location, and we're in a very different environment from that now. Uh, but the aspects of it, uh, transparency, uh, responsibility, uh, a cadence of delivery with, with sprints, these are all things that promote uh, good project development teams and effectiveness. Um, it's one of those things where whether it's methodology or architecture, uh, if you do them well uh, and you invest in them, they paid unexpected dividends. Uh, no one planned uh, for the pandemic by by implementing Agile, and yet it's still very uh, helpful and beneficial. But you guys wanted to go deeper on remote teams. So Dennis, why don't you help us set the stage and, and let us know uh, what we're going to be focusing on today. Yeah, that's actually, thank you. That's a great lead-in. We, we did talk about you know, as we set the stage, that almost all of our teams have been disrupted in some way. Even those teams that are fully remote, they're working in this new environment where they have kids and dogs in the background, and they're not in their normal work environment, nor their coworkers. So we did get some questions after the last podcast around, you know, what does a successful team look like? So we want to focus on some of the highest performing teams that we've seen in this environment, and most of those are agile teams. If you know, I'll I'll call out, and Paul and I both agree on this vehemently that. You don't have to be a pure play agile team to do some of the things we're going to talk about. But what we want to give you is the example of what that high performing team typically looks like, what we're seeing. And then we'll go into a little bit of detail around, you know, in this environment, are there some smaller tweaks and things that you can do to make your team more effective? Um, so with that, I'll, I'll start off and I'd love to have a back and forth with Paul, who really is a expert on this. He's, he's not only for CapTech, but for, uh, in previous roles, he's led Agile transformation efforts for many of what are now our clients. Uh, so, you know, one of the big things I talk about always is long live the team, right? So, in order to have a high performing team, you have to build that cadence and trust and working relationship among the members of the team. So, if you have teams today, like let's say let's make it real personal for right now, don't break them up, don't make big changes right now. They've got a cadence, they've got a working model, even if it's not ideal. Let's not make change. And in the long run, what that looks like is you're investing in keeping teams together and bringing work to teams that have the ability to deliver a product for you, not assembling teams every time a new ask comes down the pipe. Paul, I want to hear from you how you feel about that and what you're seeing. Yeah, Dennis, it's, it's really important. So teams that have been working together 
for a longer period of time have built a trust amongst each other. Um, they have established communication patterns and established signals to each other when they disagree. And that healthy conflict is going to come to play when they move remote. So the ability to, well, wait a minute, I thought you said this, or that ability to say, I thought we were going to do this, that's what came out of stand-up, but when something changes in the middle of the day and you don't see the change because you're not in the office, they have the ability to reach out to each other and effectively communicate that conflict versus just kind of plowing forward. So they will stop, adjust, and react much more quickly in a much more constructive manner than a brand new team that's never worked together with each other. So Paul, that seems kind of obvious from the standpoint that you just get to know your 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 coworkers, right? You you know the idiosyncrasies, uh, you know what they're saying behind what they're saying or the question behind the question. It's just a comfort level of working with people. Is that what you're saying or does it go deeper than that? Um, I, I, Vinny, it, it is what I'm saying, um, but it does go deeper. So think about, Vinny, think about the first time we met and we had a good conversation about unit testing, but we were unsure where each other was coming from and we didn't really have that oh yeah, we both get it. We both understand how important unit testing is. Now, when we see each other in the hallway at CapTech, we're like, you know, hey, we need to look at that. You and I are on the same wavelength and there's body language and communication there. Now, when we move remotely, you and I already have that relationship and I can hear it in the tone of your voice. And it's much, happens much faster. That common communication already happens much faster. Whereas if I were having that conversation with another CapTecher who's on that project, who doesn't know me from, Adam, then guess what? It's going to take a little bit longer to, to have that conversation. Now, it's still an important conversation and we need to have it, but it just happens more quickly and more naturally. Yeah. And I think one of the other things I'll add to that is that in addition to just being more comfortable working together, you also understand the skills and the talents of the individuals around you and who is the best suited to work on each piece of work that's coming through your pipeline. So like just the, the the handoff and the building of the Lego bricks that make the product you're building are a lot simpler. And it's it sounds intuitive, but so many organizations are projectized. And they'll say, all right, we've got a new thing we need to build. Let's assemble the team that we need to do it. Instead, it's what's the best team that we have that can build this the most efficiently? That's the mindset we want to take. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of close this one out, it, it when you think about a project and project delivery, you think about the roles you need and who the best people are for those roles. Uh, and what you guys are saying is uh, the relationships uh, between those existing people in those roles is equally as important. Um, what I'm reminded of is that in sports, you know, like let's take basketball, for example, uh, the best team, the one that can win the championship is not all-star, is not the all-star team. Right. You can assemble a group of all stars and they're going to lose to the best team who doesn't have the best players, but they've been playing together all year. Right. So it's a very similar analogy. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to go fast, go as an individual. If you want to go far, go as a team. Right. Okay. Dennis, what's next on your list for, uh, effective? Yeah. So this one, now there's some healthy interaction on this one is that the highest performing teams typically are multifaceted teams. These are teams that can build a feature for your organization. For instance, an anti-pattern would be that you have one team that does the front end, one team that does the middleware, one team that does your back-end connectivity, et cetera. And then they're having lots and lots of handoffs, handshakes, dependencies that they have to manage. A more efficient model is to have teams that are able to build your product or at least a feature of that product as a complete unit. So you have all the different folks on the team. Yes, it's not a homogenous team where they're all... Uh, they speak the same language necessarily. They're, they're all, it's a group of all front end developers that are, they're jiving and working with each other. But 
as a team, you have all the skills you need to assemble that package. And what we don't recommend right now, so taking this to the today, <laughs> is great. I heard what you guys said. I'm going to rip down my teams and suddenly build a bunch of feature teams. Now's not the time to inject that change. But small changes where you start to inject another person to a high-functioning team that was just missing that one role, that might be something you want to try. What do you think, Paul? So first I would say is, like you said earlier, Dennis, is don't go changing everything. So if you have a front-end development team and you have a middleware team and you have a persistence team, that persistence team can be a team that works with a system of record or anything else, but you have kind of three layers of teams and they're all now all of a sudden working remotely. I wouldn't change those teams. What I would really do is focus on how do those teams coordinate amongst each other and what are some new norms you can develop to enhance that coordination? Because that coordination between those teams, when they're in the office, they're probably either, you know, close to each other and they act as kind of one big team of teams. Well, how do you create that? So we might only have a scrum of scrums amongst those teams twice a week when you're in the office. Well, you probably want to have that daily when you're, when you're, when you're working remotely. You might even want to have a kind of, let's integrate more often. So if they really typically only integrate in the middle of the sprint or at the end of the sprint, you might want to move to, okay, let's make sure we're getting fast feedback amongst the teams. Let's do that integration daily. And you're going to go to some DevOps techniques and things to get there. As you, as you say that, and, and these, these are good specific examples of, of things people can do to improve remote delivery, but there are additional things we have to do. So what's the expectation of uh, the impact on velocity? Uh, are we saying that because we have to change the way we do things, maybe, maybe add more communication, uh, that we're going to have a, a particular impact to our, to our current velocity? Yeah, so I, I have a very particular belief on that. Um, and you guys, some people will argue with me on this and not, not, not others, but it, it's a, it's a proven, proven pattern of teams that finish early accelerate faster. So when you have a big change to how a team works, don't try to commit to your full velocity. Commit to maybe 80% of it. Make sure you can get that done and then pull things in. And that also goes for teams of teams where large integration is important and, and, and really critical. So you know that you're going to hit new issues and new impediments. So let's, and we don't know what they are, but let's anticipate that they're going to be there. Let's plan a little less. Let's commit to a little less in our sprint planning, in our PI planning, even a shorter horizon. And let's make sure we can get that high, the high important, high risk stuff done. And then we can pull stuff in and realize our new true velocity. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that point. And I think also by not committing to a full load where everyone's at breakneck speed throughout the entire sprint. When you have changes that create efficiency, you have the room to make them. Uh, so to Vinny, to your question, sometimes you're going to have to do, uh, you're going to have to make changes to the way your team operates and works. And you have to have the give them the, the spare bandwidth to do that. Yes, if you were to not have any change, you could you could slam in a little more work. But over the long haul, that's going to keep your team at its current rate, and we want them to be faster, better, smarter. We've, we've just seen time after time is that teams that actually allow themselves some slack in the system actually accelerate faster and are more innovative. Right. Because they're given the ability to deal with the issues that come up, and the innovation in dealing with those issues is what makes a team high-performing. Well, that's also a good segue to one of the other points that I like to talk about. Paul, I'd love to get your opinion on this, that, you know, Along that line, building empowerment into your team, right? So 
the team that plans, estimates their work, and commits to their work, rather than having that work given to them, estimated, and committed on their behalf, has more ownership, has more skin in the game. And almost always, those are the high-performing teams in my experience. What do you think, Paul? Um, I agree 100%, Dennis, is that teams that own their own work and basically are developing the solutions for the problems that they have really good context around are high-performing. There's another component to that culture of commitment, though. They're going to commit to solving those problems, but there's an organization around that's around them that's committing to removing their impediments for them. And that's something that you have to look at. If you look at that, the cycle time for removing impediments for teams, new environments, things that are outside of their control, if you look at how that's going to change as everybody works remotely, not just the teams, but the leaders for the teams, if you start to understand that and understand how it's impacted, that's a good leading indicator that working remotely is working for your company. Vinny, what are your thoughts? Well, it's what concerns me when I think about this is a team can can be fully committed to delivering something, to your point. But I'm thinking about companies who are new to uh, this type of methodology. There's a culture outside of the team. And so I've been on a lot of projects where the individual project teams are ad- adapting to Agile and they're taking it seriously and they're going through the training and they're making the paradigm shift in, in their in their head, which you need to make. You can't just map it to other tech other methodologies you you have used before, right? You really have to make the shift. But other parts of the organization have not. So mm-hmm. you know, procuring hardware is still taking a very long time. Getting things through security is still taking a long time. Getting things through legal is taking a long time. And so these are external impacts that limit your ability to, to affect that change and, and honor that commitment. Um, but those things seem that like they are more difficult to change quickly, especially in this environment where we're remote. Oh, yeah. So, so what advice can we give people if, if they're, if they believe that they're, they've got high performing teams, but they're struggling from an organization that's not adopting the same principles? Yeah. So my advice was, is, is find those leaders who are willing to remove those organizational impediments. There's usually an executive champion there, and that executive champion is usually willing to engage in those conversations. Reserve time for those conversations. Have them more often. So, Vinny, like like you said, is compliance, getting hardware, getting environments set up, all of those systems around the team that are necessary for a team to deploy what their valuable product all of those things have a traditional process that may not be working as fast as the team or or may just have a different way of working than the team. So generally, the product owner and the stakeholders want to see the product delivered as quickly with as high as quality as possible. And if that's the end alignment for everybody, bringing those others along with you usually requires some leadership, counterintuitive leadership to say, hey, let's look at the system as a whole and let's understand it. In a remote world, it's very difficult to lay all that out and work through it. So you've got to take off small chunks at a time, really small chunks. Figure out what the most impactful impediment or organizational impediment is and just attack that one for a couple of sprints and keep to work for it. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know how long this is going to last, but let's just get started on getting through those things a little bit at a time. And as the organization sees that little bit of progress, more people jump on board and it tends to accelerate. Right, yeah, I think the other thing I'd say is that there's two big, there's two types of changes, right? There's big change. And there's small change. So for instance, if you have a big change you're trying to enact, such as organizational change, changing the mindsets of the way you're the, the business groups or the supporting groups that feed, that are part of the process with that team, you want to pilot that in scale with champions that can prove to your organization this works. 
There was also small change, just moving to an empowered model of working with that team and saying, we're going to look at the work that's coming in. We're going to actively be part of the estimation process. And we're going to predict what we can and cannot get done and get a couple people to help you with that process who are going to change their mindset and be more open to being led by the team to what can actually be accomplished. That's not a really big organizational change. So, so Dennis, um, I know this topic is broader than you know the current COVID-19 situation we're in, but we are in this situation, right? So as you talk about big change and small change, uh, you know, I'm pessimistic and that I don't think a lot of companies are going to take on an agile transformation uh, organization-wide right now while people are, are working remote. And um, it's probably, they're probably focusing on more immediate uh, demanding needs, right? So as we go through and, and you guys are making these recommendations and they sound great, but they also sound a little bit easier said than done, right? So mm-hmm. what are the things you could do you know, short of the big stuff you're talking about, right? What are the, what are the first three things you would recommend to somebody who is a little bit behind the curve on this, doesn't want to pitch a full transformation, but does want to deliver more effectively? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, the very first thing is if you're really looking to adopt some of these principles whole scale, a lot of this, a, a lot of the functional changes of moving to an agile model should be reserved for organizations that are already on the pathway. It's going to be much easier to nudge things along and try to enact better principles than to right now enact a full transformation and change. I actually would not recommend that uh, for those teams that are heavily waterfall or just don't function in this w- in the way we've described today. You can look at your current state processes, and we did cover some of this in the last podcast, so I referenced people back to that. Of There's small individual things you can do, such as having regular touch points throughout the day. There's the culture creating more open transparency and visibility, not just inside the team, but to your stakeholders. These are all things that you can do to enhance your current state processes, no matter what what your what methodology you're following. Uh, for agile teams, if you're not doing some of these things, if you don't have that um, team level commitment, if if you're not if uh, if the things we're saying sound like this is something that I could get benefit from, it's worth talking about making some minor enhancements and changes with the team on your side, not enacting those and putting those on your teams. All right, so that was a lot uh, and good, but Paul, why don't you give me like in one breath or two, like three things they could do, like bing, 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 and then we can talk about them, but you know, very summary. Sure. What would your advice be? Yeah, so my advice would be is focus, focus on fundamentals. So if you have an if you have a budding agile team, focus on three fundamentals. Make sure you have a strong definition of ready with a deep ready state backlog. Make sure you have a strong definition of done so the team knows when they're done. If you're not agile, focus on your fundamentals. If you're waterfall, make sure you have strong requirements. Make sure you have a strong testing approach and go small. Smaller projects are easier to coordinate and communicate. So yes, yeah, so thanks, and that and that kind of leads to my next question based on this, which is, you know, if you're t- talking about larger organizations, um, are you recommending that, or how would you recommend? I'll put it this way: uh, that they affect this change in their organization. Do you do you start with one project and make sure that it works well, and then propagate it out? Do you make broad sweeping changes? Uh, if you do start with smaller projects or, or, or onesie twosie things, do you, do you do it by most impact to the organization or least risk because you're introducing change? I'm struggling with how you would take these things and propagate them at a larger organization. So there, there's two approaches there, Vinny. Uh, one is, and I've seen this in a remote world as well as in a in the office world. Um, 
if you think about a waterfall project that is not going well at the end, what happens? The testing team is there and what do they start doing? They start working defects and there's a whole bunch of defects. And how do they work those defects? Well, there's a daily defect call and the developers go fix the defect and they test it and they get through it. They move to an agile model. So when you have a burning issue, typically even in a waterfall process, companies move to a more iterative agile development to get to something that is of quality that they can release. So whether you pick a high risk project or a simple project that's that's, that's not necessarily as high risk that gives you some ability to fail. If you're rigorous and you follow the fundamentals, you'll be successful. Looking at the company then becomes what's your risk tolerance? If it's something critical you got to get done, well, you may not actually convert it to an agile model. You might just take an iterative approach to getting it finished. If you're in a highly regulated environment and, you know, you're developing medical devices, well, picks, you know, you're not going to put a piece of embedded software on a respirator and do this in an agile manner for the very first time. No, that's probably not a good idea. But let's pick something that's maybe a support system inside your company that you know can work well and then figure out and learn from that. So it really depends on the company's risk tolerance. Gotcha. Um, I want to be sensitive to time here. Uh, Dennis, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I think the, the biggest point, all of these lead to creating teams that are consistent, that are predictable, and that have good transparency with their stakeholders and among each other. Whatever your condition is right now, if you can try to keep those principles top of mind, that's going to help your teams perform. Great. Well, gentlemen, th- thanks for your time. I uh, appreciate it. This is great information. And for those listening, uh, please stay safe, uh, practice social distancing, and I hope this information uh, helps you have higher productive teams. Thank you. Thank you.